If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. If a film wins all five major Academy Awards, you can bet your bottom dollar that we're going to watch and talk about it. It's another Jack Nicholson film this week with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest this week on Zach on Film. Oh, this one's a toughie. This was a toughie. Yeah, it is. And a number of different different reasons. Um, Emotionally, this was I haven't had this hard of a time getting not getting through, but this hard of a time processing a film since Taxi Driver. Why? Emotionally, this one just kills. I've never seen this before. Oh, okay. So. I, I've seen it twice, and I've also seen it. Or so today would have been the third day, but I've also seen it as a stage play and knew people that were in the play. So I was very familiar with, very right. familiar with the story as it plays out. Yeah. Well, and I, I had a knowledge of the story and a basic expectation of how it ended, but I, I mean, this well, one. I mean, it, I sat down and I'm like, okay, well, sometimes during Zach on film, I will multitask. Could not do that here. And as things were going, I'm just like, oh, God, don't, no, don't do that. Don't, don't. Oh, they did it. Oh, oh, oh. Just, oh. Well, I mean, this movie has been riffed on so many times. Family Guy and Simpsons do it all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you can talk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, how come you never talked before? Nobody ever talked to me before. Is that, that was, I think, in a Simpsons episode. Uh, um, that that was a great moment. I didn't realize what year was Taxi Driver seventy three something like that. We'll look it up here. Uh, I didn't yeah. realize how very seventies, even though this movie's set in nineteen sixty three, how very seventies this actually was going to be. Yeah. So uh taxi driver came out the year after one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a very similar sort of aesthetic at play here. I think Chinatown came out the year before this. Yes. Which again, Man, another- boom, boom, boom. Yep. Yeah, I know. Right. 
but okay. Is this, I, I've said this before, and now I think we have a winner for the greatest Hey, It's That Guy movie of all time. Okay, go. Everybody in this movie is Hey, It's That Guy. Because yeah, the, uh, yeah, go ahead with your Jack favorite. Nicholson walks in, and then you, you got Danny DeVito. Which I keep you forgetting. I'm Doc like, who is this Brown. short Wait, little guy? Yeah, That's Danny DeVito. The short guy is Danny DeVito, and I kept yeah. looking at him, going, "Man, that guy is short." Because I, I thought at one time that I knew that Danny DeVito was in this movie, but that guy yeah. does not look like Danny DeVito. Oh, that's weird. Martini and, is a very young Danny DeVito. Yeah, and it's you got crazy Vincent Chiavelli, the professor from Fast Times at Richmond High. Yeah, you got Doc Brown. Yep, Christopher Lloyd. Did you recognize hey, Christopher Doc Lloyd? Brown? He's the guy Chris that was Lloyd at the, the very end. The wild eyes that was yelling and, and screaming after the Indian uh, after Chief broke through the window and ran off. He was the one that woke up at the end that's, and was watching him Doc run Brown. off. That's Brown. That's Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, with his head shaved off, yep. his hair shaved off. Sorry. And wait, then Mike, who's the guy that that? Wait, hold on. Uh, Did he also in Star Trek? Yes, he Christopher is? Lloyd. Okay, is. Okay, so that was guy. driving me up the wall because I couldn't figure out who he was, and I went on his IMDb page, and yeah, the only thing I saw was Star Trek. Well, but that was, was Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan from like a long, long I time know, ago. Okay, but I he never saw free, any Commander Cruz, but yeah. I never saw any Doc Brown things on there. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd. Is yeah, Doc Back to the Brown. Future. He's also yeah, I did not him. see it on his IMDb page. Really? Do you remember the it tall freaked me guy? Out. That's why I couldn't remember who it was. Head? The really tall guy who was who was standing against the wall yeah, with his arms up. Yeah, Michael Berryman. He was the lead in The Hills Have Eyes. Yep. Mm-hmm. He was also one of the mutants that you see. Everybody in this is a hey, it's that guy. Even um, uh, Harding, who I've seen in several different things, and Brad Dorif as as little Billy, and the weird bald guy. Oh, what's his name? Which uh, weird bald Bob guy? David. Cheswick. Chessie. That weird bald guy, I know from something. I think he was in Carrie as one of the teachers. But yeah, I mean, this is a just a. It's like they went and they said, "Give me every super talented character actor you've got, and if they're funny looking, double up." Yeah, and chuck them in a room, and oh my god, what an experience! It. I mean, it is. I mean, it is a tour de force as far as acting goes because everybody does have to take on a very unique personality, very Mm -hmm. unique problems. Mm-hmm. And convey that. Um, I don't know. I think probably there are so many themes and motives that you uh, motifs that you can look at in this in this movie. I mean, you can look at the depiction of yeah. the mentally insane or the mentally impaired. Yeah. Um, and you could look at their treatment. Now, granted, mm-hmm. I mean, we sh- saw shock treatments in this, which, again, a lot of this is product of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. So in the 1960s, it was still very common to. Give someone yeah. a shock treatment to calm them down. Yeah. And you see him going in saying, hey, I've got a, you know, um, what's his name? Um, Cheswick is Cheswick. is needs to be a little relaxed. And they go in and he's happy to go in and do it. He's not fighting his way to go get shock therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the big end where uh, Jack Nicholson's character has been given the lobotomy oh. was still oh. very common back. Then. I mean, lobotomies have been a means of curing what ails you. For a mm. long, long time. Mm-hmm. I find it very disturbing. Brutal. It's super disturbing. That's brutal. And that's the point really where the movie kind of, to me, I don't want to say went off the rails, but did a left turn that I was not really expecting. 
I didn't I didn't expect that ending because it had been played kind of as a, a, maybe a, a vulgar, more grown up version of a movie like Meatballs, where the weird guy comes in and instigates people to be better people. And then at the end, they all leave and they're happier for the experience. Yeah, that's what I'm expecting. Yeah. And then you get to the end and it's like, no, society has crushed him. Mm-hmm. And his best friend has to kill him in order to – he cannot stand to let him live in that – boy, we have spoiled this movie already. But yeah, he cannot stand to, to see McMurphy living in that, in that fashion. So he literally smothers him with a pillow. Oh, my God. I did not see that coming. <sighs> there are – and I wish Rodrigo was here this week. He's out. But it's very weird – there's a lot of ways you could read this movie, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. who who runs the asylum, Zach? Nurse. Nurse Ratchet, Ratchet and her little minion. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can look at, um, in this case, uh, another theme or motive, motif that you can look at is women as castrators, as, mm-hmm. you know, having complete control over the men and being yeah. able to get whatever that's done. That's one yeah. way you can look at this movie. W- who else is in control of the asylum? McMurphy. No. Kind of. The doctor. Oh, 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 no, not necessarily the doctor because he's rarely no, no, there. No. But who are the no. other three, four people that are in Ooh, charge oh, of the, the inmates? The muscle the orderlies. guys. The orderlies. Yeah, the orderlies. And what is their race? Uh, All of, of the orderlies uh, are African-American. Yeah. Yes. Which is weird. I mean, it's not weird, weird. Um, I think it's but intentional. It's, but it's but, yeah. interesting to it, see that, you know, in a world where – we talk about the white man is in control and is in charge of everything mm-hmm. where in this, in this asylum, everything is flipped around where all of the inmates, except for chief mm-hmm. is white mm-hmm. and they're being controlled by women and minorities. Right. The women, the women have the minorities there for when they get out of hand. Well, they've, it's a, a very, a very seventies kind of take or on things. They've been relegated to the lowest place that you can control someone. Well, and the thing about it is, but I mean, if you think about, if you think about how, when we talk about, when people talk about race, not, not necessarily us, but when people talk about race, about how, you know, the white man does this, this and this, but in this movie, it's totally flipped around. Well, where mm -hmm. the, the white male is being subjected by, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, the minority and the female. But you also look at this is 1976. I just found it really weird. Uh, yeah. This is 1976. I think that that's an intentional kind of I th- I thought it felt very I thought it felt very intentional because I don't think normally well in a and we do see some white orderlies there um the the good humor men that that drop uh Nicholson's character off are white um mm-hmm. So we do see other white orderlies, but when we look at the main characters mm-hmm. in that ward, that is the breakup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they are all impeccably dressed in their crisp white shirts and mm-hmm. their ties. Mm-hmm. And then when the, you know, our, our characters, all of the, the main characters in the asylum are kind of, you know, sloppily dressed. Even if you look at, you look at McMurphy, he shows up. And he's kind of slovenly, but he's got his blue shirt and his cool jacket and his little cap. He's very distinct. 
as he's in there longer, his wardrobe starts to get more and more, mm-hmm. you know, the, the rumpled weird stuff. Those guys always remain crisp in the white yeah. shirts and the ties. And when they come in and when they have to resort to the violence, which they do at least twice in the movie, I think that's an intentional point is we see people in their shirts and ties. They're the ones who come in and they will smack you down. Yeah. You know, that, that cultural sort of, this was the very first time that I really noticed like that cultural Mm -hmm. shift, you know, shift and inversion. And it was really kind of weird, but it, it may be very intentional. I'd Um, say it would be in 1975. That's what I want to lean towards is that that's what it was. But again, I'm, I'm putting my bias on top of, of that. I found it very interesting because it could in it in itself say a lot about society at that time Mm -hmm. by doing that. I guess the question for you, Zach, is. um, Was Murphy getting the best of the system or was the system getting the best of Murphy? McMurphy, sorry. Uh, Well, I think it's a little I think it's a little bit of both. I think throughout a majority of the film, uh, McMurphy does. He kind of controls in a way, at least not the, the people that surround him. Mm-hmm. He has a great influence on how they're interacting and controls uh, what they're doing, mm-hmm. and which is against the establishment. Right. But in the end, the establishment wins. Right. He, so Mike Murphy down. comes in as the as the anti-establishment. Yeah. And, and he even though he messes, things up messes for a while, up the system, the system still yeah. beats him down to the point where if we have to, we will remove yeah. all remove, humanity from you. Yeah, remove yeah. what makes you you. Yeah. Which is he very makes, depressing. He makes a lot of noise and he makes a lot of waves. But when we get down to it, as you watch Nurse Ratched, as the others start to act up, she clamps down harder. Mm-hmm. And the point where she actually sends uh, McMurphy and Chief and Blabber in to get their ECT, that's the point where all of the others who had been acting up are like, oh, crap, she can still do stuff to us. Yeah, yeah. And then immediately afterwards, we get that revelation that most everybody is there voluntarily. Yes. With the exception of McMurphy, Chief, and Doc Brown, who are all there and can be committed and held essentially indefinitely. Right. And that changes the whole mm-hmm. thing. They Not only does she have this power – and not only is she willing to clamp down harder and harder as they act up, the they've men are given allowing it to it. her. Yeah, they've given yeah, her that they, power. They have given her that power. They could leave. McMurphy cannot. And so it gives it a whole new angle where he's been agitating against the system, not realizing that mm-hmm. he can't leave, and they all could. And then, you know, when that's, I think, what leads us down the terrible path to the terrible end of it. Yeah, I think when, you know, because when he does realize that, He's he, he's one of those that can't leave and that he's stuck right. there. Right. Mm-hmm. You see him really try to change his attitude, but in a way that he's trying to be a little bit more sane, but he's then trying to be very much more cunning in the way that he's going to escape. When he's first mm-hmm. there, he thinks it's a vacation or mm-hmm. you well, know, eventually they he's going to leave with his sentence assume, over. Yes. When right. his sentence is over, he'll just leave and he's got it fine as long as he acts right. a little crazy. Uh, obviously the doctors don't believe that. And then when it, he realizes that I could be here for much longer, he tries to sh- straighten up, but he, it's not in his nature to do that. Right, 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 right. What I thought was interesting when reading about uh, this film 
in the 62 novel by uh, Ken Kesey. Kesey, I think that's just Kesey, yeah. Kesey. Kesey. Uh, the end, well, the, the, whole, the whole novel is narrated by Chief, mm-hmm. the character of Chief, and then the end, uh, all of the voluntary patients leave, mm. which I thought was interesting. Not just yeah. Chief escaping, but that they, uh, like, through McMurphy's death, they all decide that, that yeah, they all choose to leave now. It's interesting. I think it's, it, it says different things. It's a different ending. Yeah, and be, I think that that may be kind of a cultural thing. What year did you say the book was written? 62. So 1962 is the beginning of the 60s. When it's made into a movie, it's 1975, which is the middle of the malaise of the 70s. I can see why they made that change because that that revelation that those guys are there voluntarily is incredibly powerful for me, you know, watching this today. Mm-hmm. I'm like, holy moly. You you guys could oh well yeah and that goes back to to your point there is yes they could leave but they choose not to yeah yeah what does society come to when right people can't stand up for themselves take care of themselves do things for themselves yes. they've got to rely on the system to take care of them or to try to figure out their problems and the mm-hmm. only way that their problems are being taken care of is through medication yeah through pills through drugs a happy pill or yeah, something one way that i really was drawn into reading this movie after I finished watching it uh, this weekend was the idea of how the system does not like when a person treats the people that they've deemed as lesser like normal people. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, they were, I think, and to go on with this reading, they were all... They all voluntarily came in there, which mm-hmm. we don't know why they all did. But I think a reason could be was that in the society it was deemed if you have uh, these problems and issues that you are supposed to be hit, hit away into mm-hmm. in, a, in a hospital in mm-hmm. the hills. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way that you can live your life. And that's, so we're going to keep you in here because you're dangerous. Like, we think you're dangerous right. to the right. society. Well, that, that's an interesting point, because then when you see. When you see McMurphy treating the, I'll just say inmates, yeah, um, inmates, yeah. as well. normal people, as people that can get out and function in society by taking right. them on the the boat trip, mm-hmm. um, he knows. I think there's some part of him that knows that this is good for these guys to get out and do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Then that's when the hospital is like, I think we need to just send him back to jail. We need to do this. We right. need to do this. We need to do this. And Ratchet's like, no, mm-hmm. keep him here. There's something that yeah, we, we can do with him here. Yeah. Right. And um, she's not going to give up on him. And I think you're right in that they get angrier at him when he shows that we can treat these people as people and not. Right. Not lesser beings yeah. in society. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. a good observation, right. Zach. Thanks. And I, I, think say, I mean, this is a good movie, but it's I mean, of all the ones on the list, this is not one of my favorites. It, it falls in the middle somewhere. It's a very good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's well put together. I think it's got some very conflicting messages. Uh, throughout yeah. the piece, as far as um, how do we treat people with mental disabilities? How do we treat um, just each other? Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not saying that I, I poo poo the idea of sexuality because the exploration of sexuality is a big theme in this in this movie as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it just seems like so much to dump into one movie and try to do it in two hours that at times it 
it seems like you start on it. You start going down this path to talk about this subject, infidelity, for example. Right. And then you spend five minutes in a circle talking about it and you never bring back that subject again. There's no resolution to that mm-hmm. subject of infidelity um, that it just feels like it just kind of was left hanging there. What was interesting? Well, no, you go. I'm about to go on a long thing. You go ahead, Matthew. That may. In fact, I think that was intentional because there are a lot of things brought up within the confines of this movie that you really cannot resolve, even for one character in the space of a two hour movie. And I think what it, what it's really showing us is there are a lot of stressors. It's a very seventies thing of what things brought these men here, what brought these men to the point where they're being voluntarily subjected to these daily, you know, terrible, terrible actions or, you know, just the ignominy of, of their day to day life. And so when each one has their little moment, I don't know, I don't remember if Martini ever gets anything, but but Andy, not Andy, uh, Danny DeVito as Martini is probably the best part of the whole movie because whatever they do, Martini is giggling and happy to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. delusional. Right. What what has made Martini like that? What has made, you know, Cheswick so crushed? What has made the chief want to pretend to be deaf and dumb for, you know, years and years rather than deal with the other people in their life? And, you know, when you get onto that level, I don't think that the movie could successfully address, much less resolve, each and every one of those things, especially with a cast of size. There's 18 guys in this movie. Yeah, but I think, I mean, I don't know. I think that that's kind of a problem, too, in that there is there are so many of them that it's hard to you get a very wide stroke or a very, you know, a very big brush stroke of what is Cheswick's problem. Um, what is Harding's problem? What is Tabor's problem? It's just very brushed over the surface. So unless you kind of know what their problem is, it becomes harder to identify. To me, when we look at Martini, he, instead of someone who comes off as someone who's delusional, he just Mm -hmm. comes off as someone who is perverse, um, is how he comes (laughs) off much of the time. Um, So I... Yeah, I just I, there are some problems with bringing up some subjects. It's like, hey, everybody, let's talk about this subject. Oh, let's let's not. Maybe this is too much for audiences to to talk about this subject or that subject. And they bring so much up. Mm-hmm. It, that's an idea that is something I think about a lot when I watch a new movie or just watch a movie in general. Is how I've always had this desire for films to do weird things. Mm-hmm. that resemble a normal day life. Like right. you meet someone and, right. you, and something happens, but you're only there for like 10 minutes. Like they don't put weird encounters with people that you yeah, have yeah. with people in movies. Cause it's right. a weird loose storyline. And mm-hmm. um, while we have those in our lives and we are comfortable with them, it's almost like bad storytelling, even though if it resembles more of a life that we're familiar with. Yeah. You know, like I've always wanted a movie to uh, be 20 minutes long, and like you build up a person and then they just die like in a car wreck. Yeah. It's just, it happens, but it's like, like that's, that's not so, the best story. No, 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 but you know, honestly in the original ending of clerks, 
we're following Dante's yeah. day who's not supposed to be there. Right. And right. then if you watch the alternate version yeah, on the uh, Laserdisc or the Don't. special edition, Blu-ray or something. he Don't gets watch. killed at the end of the movie. Yeah. And then, you know, Smith was like, well, that would be yeah. the irony Wines. of this person's day. Yeah, sure. And they're like, no, you got to have yeah, a happy Weinstein ending. Weinstein told him like, that was a, he told him it was a cop out. Like, yeah. You didn't know how to end it. So you just killed him. Yeah. And that may be. I don't know. I don't think that McMurphy's character is a cop out by giving him the lobotomy and then chief no. smothering no, him no, and no, running off. That's I. definitely not I. a cop out here. It's just a sad it's a sad tale of if you're anti-establishment, mm-hmm. if you're the nail poking your head up, you're going to get hammered yeah. and you're going to be left with an empty shell. Mm-hmm. And I think that's I think that is reflective, as Matthew said, of. Uh, many of the characters in there of the laziness of the seventies or the inability to motivate themselves of the, of the seventies. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's a very, it's almost like an anti him. It's a disempowering message. Don't be different. Don't be crazy. You're going to end up like <laughs> yeah. Murphy, you know, don't, don't go against the grain. Just go with the flow, man, go with the flow and you'll be fine. But the yeah. minute you start causing problems, the system's going to kick your ass. Yeah, See, I don't know if I get a go with the flow vibe from this. Because well, but I mean, by saying go with flow, I don't mean lay back and easy. I'm saying do what the establishment wants you to do. Well, even and the minute I mean, that the flow still, is disrupted, Ratchet gets really upset. Mm-hmm. There's still a countercultural message here because the end of the movie turns out to be about the chief. It's interesting that Zach said that the chief was the narrator. Or whatever in the movie, yeah, or in the in the book, in rather, the book. yeah, because the last scene of the movie is him running off and escaping over the horizon, and in movie shorthand, he was never heard from again. He's gone. Mm-hmm. He got away. Mm-hmm. And I think that that may be what this this movie isn't necessarily about Randall McMurphy, but we got you know we get tied up in what happens to McMurphy. McMurphy is kind of ground down by the system. But what's the first thing we really, the first interaction between McMurphy and Nurse Ratched is her very calmly saying, your hand is staining my window. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the point when they actually start arguing, he finally gets 10 people to vote. She changes the rules. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The vote has changed. I mean, she is clearly, if not malicious, at the very least malevolent. And throughout this whole film, you know, we're we're kind of expecting to be behind McMurphy. McMurphy has a terrible end. And then it turns out that maybe he wasn't the one who was actually going to get out of the system. Because Mm -hmm. Chief had been part of whatever was going on in in the uh, hospital there for, I think, did they say years? Did they give any time? He's been there for years. years. He's been there there longer than anyone else. That's why everyone just assumes that he's... He's deaf and dumb. That he's deaf and dumb. And he finally got the wherewithal to leave. So, you know, I I can definitely see the point. It is a depressing ending. It's an ending that kicked me in the nards on a couple of levels because Billy also has a terrible, terrible end. Yeah. But, you know, when you get into this movie, it's it's a very 70s movie. It's a very dark movie. And like I said, it, it feels a little a little bit like that same vibe of Taxi Driver, where average people get caught up in something that's way, way, way beyond them, 
And maybe they die at the end and maybe they don't. Well, there's I mean, and I would really point people because I was getting some of these notes um, from a website called Spark Notes, yep. um, which has a really good analysis of those. Oh, movie. yeah. We use it all the time in high school to not read books. Is it like the Cliff Notes? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's Internet Cliff Notes. OK. Um, but there's this really good section where it talks about the sacred nature of the individual and how McMurphy is there trying to say, hey, all of these people are individuals. I'm going to treat them as individuals. I'm not going to treat them as a group. Mm -hmm. And right. how even then the chief then returns that favor by saying, hey, I'm not going to treat you, McMurphy, as this outcast of society. I'm going to treat you like a human being who shouldn't live like this. And so therefore mm -hmm. he kills them and then and then moves on. Um, and that's fine. And and Sparknotes, like I said, that was the um, most in-depth I've ever seen a movie analysis go into because I've never seen Sparknotes pop up before in our movie yeah, analysis. Do. Um, and maybe because this is coming from maybe the book instead of the movie. But no, sure. it's, it's actually under the film study guides. Yeah, um, maybe they do do films. And that's yeah. where it's coming up with all these themes and ideas of sexuality and, and women in control and allowing you to be taken over and mm. symbols and all these kinds of things. It's it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Um, you ever – well, eh, but, never mind. Okay. Uh, you were going to go into a big, long thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to go into it. When, uh, when we watch a movie on Zack on Film, one of the first things I usually do is read the review that Roger Ebert did because right. uh, the more I read his writing, is just like – it's just wonderful. Uh, so he initially watched this film when it debuted in Chicago and and people like went crazy for it. Right? Yeah, it, so it, he, was, he, it had a great reception. Yeah, he he then wrote a review in 73 and he he was kind of down on it a little bit. He only he gave it like he only just four stars. He gave it three out of four stars in that review, but he was kind of down on it. He's, he talked a lot about you or he talked about the mixing of the messages and he didn't complete a lot of things. There's some contradictory things, uh, okay. throughout the film. But then in like 2002 or something, it was like almost 30 years later, he reviewed it again and he put it as one of his great movies. Like, he, mm. like even if it's a four out of four, he doesn't always put it as one of his like great movies, which are simply right. the movies like we watch in this show right, to an right. extent. Uh, and he loved it. He he said he was he went into it or was now uh, analyzing it from the wrong mindset the first time he watched it. He was too down on it, and uh, it it just stuck with him. When that that idea of movies that stick with you, I think is really interesting because most of the times I feel they're not always the best movies. Yeah, but they're movies. Uh, that just that you think about for a long time. I oh, think yeah, yeah. I think uh, Scorsese makes movies that I don't think are technically the best films ever made, mm -hmm. but a lot of his movies stick with me for a long time after I watch them. I think I've thought about Raging Bull a lot since we watched that. Mm -hmm. uh, the Wolf on Wall Street I thought about for like weeks. Yeah, and I don't think. It's not even the best Scorsese film. It, it's no. not. It's not. It wasn't even the best film that anywhere close to the best film that was released last year. But it is a movie that I thought about a lot. And that pops into my mind every once in a while too. Still, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I think this movie for me, why I may, I'm kind of maybe off put on it is mm -hmm. maybe I'm coming at it from a different perspective than sure. what Ebert did. In that the first time I saw it, I was like, oh wow, this is it. Yeah, man, down with the man. The, yeah. You know, the man is evil and the mm -hmm. man is, is wrong and a society, you know, we're just not treating people right. Okay. Yeah, he, didn't, he didn't like that at the beginning, the first time he saw it. Yeah. And I, I remember it had to been in a film class or something that I watched this and I was like, oh yeah, this is this is this is right, man. Then I saw the stage adaptation of it. 
And the stage adaptation was not well done. And I think that turned me off the movie. Yeah. Because then when I watched it again, when I was in um, Atlanta in the late 90s, um, I think I had to just, I was watching it with some people I didn't care for and have bad feelings (laughs) towards. Yeah. And so I think that that probably stuck with me. And so then when I watched it again, it's like, I know all the, I know all the beats. Yeah. Right. I know what's coming up. I know how these things are going to happen. So now I could kind of step back and watch at it from maybe some of these different, different things that now, because I'm already hypercritical on it, I'm going to be yeah. even more hypercritical on right, right, right. And I think that may be, and it's not saying that I, I hate this movie. I'm just saying right. it's, it's good, but it's not to me mm-hmm. the awesome Nominated for nine Oscars, winner of five type well, things. Yeah, I mean, it really depends on what else came out yeah, that yeah, year. Yeah. But uh, reading some other stuff, I really want to go back and watch this again from an editing standpoint mm-hmm. because yeah. they talk a lot about uh, the trick of editing where reactions are all determined on the surrounding narrative. Mm-hmm. They, they talked about that a lot in film or in an editing theory at the beginning where they show a man, they show a bowl soup. Right. We've talked about this before. Right. They said they use this a lot where the regular patients, facial expressions don't ever change. Really. Mm-hmm. They're all pretty much the same thing. Right. But when, um, he starts talking, like they, they give the example of the boating trip when he's telling them they're all doctors. Right. And it's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. But he said that that funny is all because he's setting it up and they're just going Nodding to his, yeah. their normal reactions of anything that would be happening. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they're actually just hamming it up. Right. And acting like doctors. Right. Which I think is interesting. And go back and look at how their expressions never change. But depending on what subject matters mm-hmm. uh, 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 being talked about at that moment, what emotions it seems like they're emoting. So it's yeah. an interesting idea. Then totally yeah. needs to go back and watch and look at it again. I'd like to look at this in in competition to, um, what was it? The Amadeus. Same director. Uh, Same director. Yeah. I did not realize that, but you can kind of see a similarity of a point of view, which I kind of enjoy. I, yeah, that one didn't necessarily stick with me the same way, but I really liked the visuals as they were put together here. And I liked some of the scenes that, really kind of underlined how closed in the characters were. They made really great use of the set. Oh, yeah. Although the bit with the tub room confused me for a minute, but, you yeah. Know. Well, yeah, yeah because it's like, why is there a lamp yeah. in there? Why are these things in there that... Why are they playing Monopoly, and why is Danny DeVito in a tub? Well, I, and it's just, I mean, I don't know. I've never been in a mental hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly w- have never been in one from the 1970s. Yeah. Um, but it seems like there were a lot of very dangerous things within reach of potentially, and maybe they were on a different ward because we did go up to a different ward. And maybe these were the people sure. that were low risk mm-hmm. people because they're all there voluntarily. But what happens to Billy, the club, um, that is something that should never have happened regardless of whether someone yeah. was a high risk or low risk uh, yeah, person yeah. Patient, yeah. Um, to just That's have something that they could break and cut themselves with mm-hmm. is just, ah, yeah, it's bad. It's and, bad. and then, you know, electricity close to water sounds like a bad idea, yeah. but let's go ahead and do it. And again, it's, it's the times and the reflection of the times, but I just, mm-hmm. you're right, Matthew. I looked at that scene. And I was like, that does not make any sense. Yeah. And they actually, um, I believe it was the, 
doctor's office that they locked him in. I thought the implication was that the picture of the fish that they discussed in that early sequence may have been the thing that he broke to get to the glass. Oh. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's actually in the film or just my, my brain working on it. No, because uh, yeah. the doctor's office was outside of the ward. He was locked up in one of the rooms. In the, there. Yeah. yeah, he yeah. was he was off to go get cleaned up and get his morning started or something. He was in some sort of office because he was lying yeah. next to a desk. Well, Minion, yeah. the, the Minion girl, who, as you watch her, she's really weird, too, because you're talking about expressions. Her expression yeah. doesn't really change throughout the whole movie, and she has very few lines. Mm-hmm. I think she's at, like, three lines yeah. in the entire movie. But you can tell when Ratchet is getting upset, even though her expression doesn't change, Minion's face is, you can tell that she's a reflection of, and because she's mm-hmm. always right by her side, right hand, yeah. always just slightly back mm-hmm. that this is the ratchet in training. Uh, yeah. And that's why I call her minion when, because she, when, she acts when, that way throughout the whole yeah. movie. At the end, when Cheswick has his meltdown about his cigarettes, she is visually frightened. Yeah. 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 The little nurse. I don't know. Does she even have a name? She does. Um, I have no idea what it is. Little I think nurse. it's a Lila or Layla or something like that. Um, no. I'll look it up, but um, can can we talk for a moment about how cool it was to have Scatman Crothers pop up in the middle of this movie? Oh yeah, especially when a few years later uh, Jack Nicholson will be back to put an axe in his back. Spoiler alert! <laughs> well, for me it was fascinating because you know this movie does have some seriously salty language. Yeah, and uh, there there's a point where his character, Orderly Turkle, realizes he's going to lose his job. Yeah. And it's F-bomb, F-bomb, F-bomb. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, Hong Kong Fui just said F. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's really a wonderful sequence. And the bit where the night supervisor shows up and he's trying to shine her on, nothing's going on here. Yeah, and then yeah. you hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I love the little bits and all of the little moments in here that are just. They're comedic in a terrible way. Mm-hmm. Nurse Pilbo is what she's listed as here. <laughs> Pilbo. 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 Hello. Pilbo. I am Nurse Pilbo. <laughs> but so this definitely this this site that I'm reading definitely has to be about the book because uh, in the description it says Nurse, Nurse Pilbo, a strict Catholic with a prominent birthmark on her face that she attempts to scrub away. Nurse Pilbo is afraid of the patient's sexuality. Oh, Ooh. interesting. Ooh. Um. I don't see that in the movie. No, 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 no. definitely don't. don't. Definitely don't. Uh, I've read the movie, so we're talking about readings into the film. But the director, everybody, we should talk about him. Um, he Go was ahead. Foreman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's from Czechoslovakia, now the mm-hmm. Czech Republic. And he escaped. He left country uh, during, uh, you know, war the times over thing. there. Yeah. yeah. And he says this is... Uh, to him, an analogy for getting out of there, breaking away from the system, and mm-hmm. coming to America. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. There you go. So what did you take away from this, Zach? Um, you know, the, <laughs> you know, thinking back over Zach on film, I remember being... A young stupid, Zach a, a walking young Zach. into this room, fresh and scrubbed. Could, never had an answer for these things back in the first few episodes. Because I didn't know what I was doing, and then That's we got okay. this middle. Then we got this middle part, and I, was, yeah, yeah. I, had, I had some good stuff. Yeah. Now we're getting to a point where it's like, what am I taking away from this? Mm-hmm. I don't know much anymore. I mean, the, That's legitimate. Yeah, I mean, I don't know anymore. Uh, I really. Uh, no, no. Hold on. There was a thing. I haven't brought it up. That 
I didn't really know who the director was when we before I started watching this, but it felt foreign. It did not feel like an American director <laughs> yeah. because a lot of the things I've been watching will show uh, horrible situations with a bluntness by not moving the camera ever mm -hmm, and just letting right. the audience absorb whatever they're showing and not cutting to reactions of people or, uh, or like quick cutting an action scene or something like that. They'll just stick there and just let the actors be, let the scene unfold. It's usually subtle things. It's not big, uh, uh, like dance numbers. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about right. like horrible things right, right. that they just show on screen. They're not cutting away from it. They're just making you uh, see it and let it sink in. And, and like, how are you going to react to the situation? And that feels like a foreign thing to me. I've seen it in a f uh, some recent films uh, from directors from uh, like France and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Milos did this a couple of times. One, uh, not uh, necessarily a brutal shot in any stretch of imagination, but when uh, Jack Nicholson's character is sitting next to the open window right before he escapes, right. like that's a really long shot of him right. just like contemplating what he's doing with his life and what he's yes. going to go on. And uh, then before he falls asleep or after falls the asleep. next morning. Yeah. Before he falls asleep, it's a really long shot of him like at night. Yeah, right it's it's an goes. interesting character piece. There's, I mean, there, and there's a couple instances like that. And really some interesting camera moves at the beginning of the film mm -hmm. where we're almost like swooping in for like these kind of go from like a, oh, like a full shot into like a tight medium kind of thing where we're just like swooping the camera in and it felt really, I don't, it almost felt weird f to an extent because they weren't doing it often. And it seemed to only be like in the beginning of the film when they were moving these cameras in these weird kind mm -hmm. of like, because and it, I seems, don't know, yeah. it seems unnatural and off kilter like, because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. going into a world that is not normal and not well, that's, natural. That's great. Okay. Do you yeah. think that he was emphasizing the camera movements before they got inside and then suddenly constricted the camera movements to give you more of a sense of the claustrophobia once you're on the ward? It's possible. The other, That's there's what I the thinking. one weird shot that really kind of stood out for me is when um, the choking scene with Nurse Rat with Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> if you think yes. about it, instead of being right over mm. Nicholson's shoulder, pointing down, the camera is actually pointing down at her, but kind of up and back to where it almost looks like the camera's laying on its side, and she's actually up against a wall, rolling around. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's, it's a really weird shot. I mean, it's different. Yeah. And it's not like it's not like bringing it. And I guess the only reason why you would do that is because if you brought it down, the camera down lower in the frame pointing up, she would still have the superiority in the scene because yeah. of the angle of the shot. But by shooting that weird down backward angle shot, mm -hmm. you are diminishing and destroying the power that she has over everybody and everything in that. Right. In that yeah, scene. Yeah. yeah. You're you're basically putting her back down on the same level or lower. Yeah. Well, definitely well, and lower. I, I, well, and and you know, metaphorically, they did that with her hat. Mm -hmm. They dragged her hat through the dirt, and that I mean, that was the first symbol of what was about to happen. The nurse ratchet scene was really disturbing to me. Which because one? The while choking I, out. When, yeah, when when he's choking her, 
Because that's the first indication, you know, that she's not like this giant, powerful creature. Jack Nicholson is considerably bigger than Louise Fletcher. And when he grabs her and slams her up against the door and then throws her down to the ground, my mind is like, wait, am I, am I supposed to be on his side at this point? Yeah. Because it's, it's really disturbing when he's, he's trying, clearly trying to kill her. Right. And some of, the, some of the shots, that close-up shot of her with his hands around her throat, yeah, yeah. with the exception yeah. of the fact that her throat isn't purple afterwards. Yeah. That's, that's brutal. Oh, but her that face is, is bugging out, though. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. It's, creepy. it's like oh, yeah. uh, that Jeez. shot at the end of uh, um, Total Recall. Total Recall. <laughs> yes. Yes. They said that. I knew where you were uh, going. I knew where you were going. And I knew it was going to go bad. That, but I went with you. The first showing of the film, uh, Ebert said that the crowd cheered when, when they he strangled went, her. Yeah, when he went in for the strangle. Which well, because it's, it's really disturbing. Well, it's I mean, it's that huge cathartic moment. And I have to admit, the moment afterwards where she's in the neck brace and she no longer has her mm-hmm. powerful sort of tones. Yeah, she's been that's that's down. satisfying. Because whenever someone gets on her nerves, notice what she does. When he gets to the ward, he's Mr. McMurphy. When he displeases her, he's Randall. Yeah. When someone is on her wrong side, and this actress is so good at this. She was on uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine as the evilest evil that ever did evil, uh, Kai Wynn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She is so well-mannered and so perfectly toned and she just wants to do the best for you and you want to punch her until she goddamn dies i apologize that was probably our adult tag but yeah there that moment where she has clearly lost her power i don't like the scene where she is injured but the aftermath where she's clearly a shadow of herself is satisfying on on kind of a flat-out cathartic lizard brain level well and that's what that whole moment is this release of you know screw you Mm -hmm. screw you the man yeah or society or you know the system and he's lashing out the only way he can because the system has kind of done this she belittling billy has caused him to go and commit suicide or attempt suicide which is which is interesting If, if you keep reading into it of this moment of taking against the man in this in this violent action, trying to kill the man, essentially, what do we learn? That doesn't work. Right, doesn't work. That you have to go about a different way because that's what ultimately led to his lobotomy. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I find it interesting that uh, your wife saw this movie before you did, Zach. She did. She watched this film in high school in a psychology class. Interesting. Yeah. And she did. She watch it again with you. Uh, yeah, she didn't. She ended up. She didn't really want to. She uh, felt the ending was really disturbing. Yeah. And it went into a dark place that she didn't really uh, want to watch again. But I was watching it and she got home and I was just starting it. So she ended up watching it. Oh, OK. Yeah. All right, Zach. Uh, anything else? Um, Let's see. I d- oh, excuse me. Don't think there is except you should head over to Majorspoilers.com and find this podcast posting page and give any of your thoughts and ideas about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or any of things that we've talked about 
in this episode of Zach on Film while you're there, click on the Amazon.com link where you can go buy your very own Blu-ray copy of One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest or any of the other films we've talked about on this Zach on Film series. None of it is going to cost you any extra, but a little bit will come back to major spoilers, help with server costs and equipment repairs and all things of that sort of nature. It'll help us keep going week after week to bring more content to you. Next week, we will be talking about The Bridge of the River Kauai on Zach on Film. 19 hours long. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.